Welcome to Listener's Advisory, the San Diego Public Library podcast. In today's episode, we come full circle. We'll meet a children's librarian from the past that changed lives and set the bar for today's SDPL. Also, we'll get an update on the library master plan and its emerging framework. So stick around. This should be fun. Hey folks, before we begin, I just want to give you a heads up as well as ask a favor. Today is our season finale and we're looking for some direct feedback on how we did this first go-round. Specifically, we want to know what you liked, what you didn't like, and how we can get better. There's a survey linked in our show notes as well as on our webpage. It should only take a few minutes to fill out and will be a huge help to us. Thanks in advance. During World War II, after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, many Japanese immigrants and Japanese-American citizens were rounded up and put into imprisonment camps by the United States government. The government justified these actions by claiming it was in the interest of national security. The result was that over 100,000 individuals of Japanese ancestry, primarily from the West Coast, found themselves forced to live in and endure the ramshackle conditions and extreme weather of the camps. Some of these folks were from San Diego and used the downtown Central Library regularly. Then children's librarian Clara Breed knew many of these families and children personally, having provided them library services for years. Clara Breed was the San Diego children's librarian who was outraged when Executive Order 9066 really led to the the removal of all Japanese Americans from the West Coast. And the children who had come to her story hours and she's done homework with were going away and they didn't even know where they were going. So she was became their lifeline. My name is Joanne Oppenheim. I'm a writer and uh, I spent three years researching a book called Dear Miss Breed. When these families from San Diego were scheduled to leave, Clara Breed decided to take action. She gave them each postcard. She went to the train station and saw to it that they had her addressed postcard. She asked them to write and that she would send them whatever they needed. And for three and a half years, that's exactly what she did. Miss Breed's father, a congregational pastor, instilled in his daughter a sense of duty and obligation. She was one of those people who believed, as her father had taught her, that an old statement from both Talmud says, it is not upon thee to finish the work, neither art thou free to abstain from it. And so when Judy called, she was there. In addition to exchanging letters with children and young adult Japanese Americans living in the camps, she provided them with books, gifts, and other needed supplies. She also engaged in a letter-writing campaign in an attempt to mobilize her own network of like-minded colleagues. Uh, She also wrote articles in Hornbook and in School Library Journal and urged other librarians to do what they could to supply books that they were taking off their shelves anyway, but send them to the camp so the children would have books. She wrote to the librarian at Poston where her children were to see what else she could send. And of course, she sent books and packages and gifts. What Miss Breed found was that not all librarians were like-minded. She got nasty letters from some librarians who said, how dare you? 
how dare you do this? This, unfortunately, was a common sentiment at the time. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, December 7th, 1941, and the U.S. entered World War II, there were all kinds of accusations and suspicions, newspaper accounts of spying and espionage by the local Japanese immigrant community, the Japanese community in Hawaii, and their American citizen children. Susan Hasegawa is a professor of U.S. history and Asian American history at San Diego City College. My ongoing research is about the local Japanese American community and the Japanese American experience here in San Diego. I was the co-curator of Call to Serve, Clara E. Breed and the Japanese American incarceration. Because many saw these issues as a national security concern, they felt their attitude towards the Japanese immigrant community was justified. There was a huge anti-Japanese backlash against anyone who looked Japanese. Businesses wanted them, the Japanese community, gone. Farmers wanted them gone. Politicians, both locally in the city of San Diego, the San Diego City Council, at the state level, the governor. Okay, so there's this huge backlash, and it bubbled up then to the national level. So on February 19th, 1942, just several months after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7th, President Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066. Executive Order 9066 authorized the Secretary of War to prescribe military areas resulting in the internment of first-generation Japanese immigrants, or Issei, along with their citizen children, the Nisei, and citizen grandchildren, the Sansei. By the summer of 1942, all persons of Japanese ancestry were forcibly removed from San Diego. At the same time, this forced removal was going on up and down the west coast of the mainland United States. Also on the southern border of Arizona, there was a demarcation zone where everybody north of this zone could stay. Anybody south of the zone who were persons of Japanese ancestry, they had to leave and then removed to government-run incarceration camps. Miss Breed saw Executive Order 9066 as a terrible injustice. Not only was it arbitrary and racist, it directly affected people in her community. There are some 250 letters that Claire Breed kept from Nisei, second-generation Japanese-American children and young adults. So Clara Breed right now, she's about, what, 15 years into her tenure as the children's librarian. So she knew personally and were friends with many of the children, the Japanese-American Nisei, who are living in downtown San Diego. They come to the library every day, some of them, because that's kind of like their daycare after school. It's a safe place. She knows these kids, and also now they're, some of them are young adults. After having worked downtown for many years, Miss Breed developed direct connections with individuals and families in the community. And so they were then these personal friendships with Clara Breed continuing to voice her support of, you know, these people who are exiled in prison. And she's sending them books. She wants them to keep reading. She believes that Books are like the fountain of of life. She recognized the detrimental impact that internment would have on the Nisei children. She understood that education was vital to one's future. She firmly believed that during World War II, she wanted her friends to have what she thought was the fountain of life, books. And so she's 
you know, getting all the, basically the desk copies, the, the extra books that the San Diego Public Library has extra copies of, and she's sending them to Poston. Clara Breed gave an interview with the San Diego Union in 1988. So, you know, she's quite elderly. Um, this is a couple years before she passed, where she proclaims, I know I can't imagine life without books. What do you think has been the legacy of Miss Breed's actions? That an individual's actions and activism can make a difference. At the personal level, she was a loyal friend. As a librarian, she utilized her network to advocate for Nisei to get an education, for Nisei to get released, for Issei fathers to be able to join their families when they are separated from their families. Not only was Miss Breed recognized for her advocacy, she set a standard for librarianship in San Diego. How has Clara Breed's legacy informed your directorship? Being a director of San Diego Public Library, you always have big shoes to fill, and she's the reason for that. That's Misty Jones. She's the current city librarian. It's the inclusivity. It's speaking up for people who don't have a voice and making sure that we are representing everyone and we're letting people know that they have a place at San Diego Public. You know, she was so instrumental in that and I think kind of started that belief system for this library system and and we continue that. That is what is so important to me about her legacy. And, you know, I think what we all have to try to continue to do. While Miss Breed spent much of her career as a children's librarian, she also served as the city librarian for 25 years, from 1945 till her retirement in 1970. Some of the biggest accomplishments, you know, she was director when, um, or right, right when the new Central Library opened or the old central at that time, 1954. You know, there are 19 branches that were either constructed or uh, renovated during her time, including Balboa. She also was president of the Public Library Association. She founded the Sarah Cooperative, which we still have as a consortium. She was San Diego's Woman of the Year in 1955. So I think she held office in American Library Association as well. So she was really involved uh, professionally. She, you know, she really had an illustrious career for um, a library director in the, you know, in the 40s and 50s. Aside from expanding library services throughout the city of San Diego and various professional commitments, it was her advocacy work that truly defined her. What she did in particular was to speak up for people that did not have a voice. And she gave them a voice. She was that voice for them when they couldn't speak for themselves. And that, to me, is what we should all strive to do, particularly in the library. Um, And we can do that. We can be that place where people have a voice um, and allow them to speak. And if they can't speak, then we speak for them. Again, Joanne Oppenheim. I really do think that in a time when it was dangerous to be political, she took the chance. And she, she did what she knew what she knew needed to be done. The Rebellious Miss Breed is a series of programs and events that reflects not only upon the actions of Clara Breed, but on the experiences of Japanese Americans during World War II and after. 
The series of programs and events will be happening through December and seeks to raise awareness and encourage discussion of historical and contemporary issues faced by marginalized voices, especially within the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. One must-see is the gallery exhibit Call to Serve, Clara E. Breed and the Japanese Incarceration, on view through January 20, 2022, in Central Library's Art Gallery. For more information on this series of programs and events, please visit www.sandiego.gov forward slash misbreed. Earlier in the season, we told you about the library's new master plan and asked you to fill out a community survey. Hold up with the music. We're, we're not doing the Gilgamesh riff again. I'm trying to be more professional. I'm excited to report that over 7,000 San Diegans responded and that phase one of the master plan is now complete. Findings from the community survey and a preview of the larger master plan framework were recently presented by Group 4 Architecture, Carson Block Consulting, and the San Diego Public Library Foundation at a series of public comment sessions and at the San Diego City Council's Public Safety and Livable Neighborhoods Committee. Here's a few highlights from those public presentations. After the last 19 years, you've got 80% more library space now than you did in 2002 and significantly expanded library service in San Diego. That's the voice of Jill Ayers, a nationally recognized library consultant from Group 4 Architecture. However, some areas of San Diego still have more library space than others. More than half of the library's branches weren't improved over the last uh, 19 years. As I said, that plan was focused on expansion, um, not a comprehensive look at all the facilities and what they needed. So many of the branches that weren't touched that master plan are in some of San Diego's older and less affluent neighborhoods. They uh, tend to be smaller or very small uh, many of them are crowded and they struggle to meet community needs. And a lot of them have moderate to significant maintenance needs. There was a 2016 study that the city did of all of its facilities. And at that time, five years ago, there was already a, about a $50 million backlog of maintenance needs in just these, these libraries that weren't touched in the last master plan. So these kinds of deficits definitely affect how the access the community has to library services and San Diego Public Library's ability to provide services. And space itself is challenged. The library expansion projects over the past 20 years just didn't add enough space to stay ahead of population growth. And that's the voice of Carson Block of Carson Block Technologies. He is a leading expert in library technology, and he also started his career as a librarian. Based on their extensive experience in creating library master plans, Jill and Carson have been enlisted by the San Diego Public Library Foundation to put together the framework. Over time, needs and priorities for library services, for technology, for collections also grew and they also diversified. Demand for space in libraries to work, to collaborate and gather is only growing. Now looking ahead, San Diego Association of Governments project 20% more population growth over the next 30 years, and that will put even more strain on San Diego's libraries. To prepare for that coming demand and to address current needs, the framework proposes a new metric for branch library space of 0.35 to 0.45 square feet per capita. 
Excluding the central library, branches currently provide 0.32 square feet per capita, but that space isn't distributed equitably throughout the system, as many neighborhoods south of the 8 are 0.3 square feet per capita or worse. The 2002 master plan recommended a minimum branch size of 15,000 square feet, but 20 years later, less than half of neighborhood branches meet that goal. The new framework proposes a baseline expansion replacement goal of 20,000 square feet. We heard from the community that not all branches are resourced the same. Some have newer technology than others. Some have uh, bigger collections than others. Some, like Carson said, have more space than others. And those are all, um, you know, part of making sure those not every community needs all of those things in equal measure, but having those things aligned with what each community needs is the part of equity that we want to make sure really um, comes through in this plan and that the framework really supports. The 2002 master plan famously mentions typewriters, but not computers. But the current framework confronts the digital world head on, noting that current library technology is insufficient and outdated, especially in the neighborhoods where it's needed most. And those needs will only be more acute in the future. We are definitely entering into a mixed mode future, uh, meaning that uh, sometimes people would think of libraries as, as just this warehouse of, of books, which is uh, an outdated uh, uh, notion because it is books and digital resources and online resources and uh, lots of things in between. So uh, equipping San Diego Public Library, equipping itself to be able to be strong on both fronts, including the physical front and the digital front is, is paramount. And, and so that goes into some of the recommendations that were done in the short term. There are uh, some technology recommendations uh, towards the end of the report uh, that go into some detail about shoring up some of the infrastructure things. I know it's really boring stuff, but it's that um, uh, those are the things that help make those uh, those digital services uh, have a place to live and, and to be robust. But I, I think that that this mixed mode future and library staff also working in a mixed mode future, um, uh, being uh, equally comfortable using digital tools to do their work and their outreach and their contact with patrons as they are with in-person uh, are important. This new master plan also goes beyond the brick and mortar facilities or the digital resources to address what many believe is the San Diego Public Library's most valuable asset. Asset. One thing that, that came through very strongly in uh, our surveys of both the, uh, the, on the staff side and the, the patron side uh, were how staff felt about the community that they serve um, and just like this really deep and abiding respect uh, and commitment to service and the feeling from people's quotes about how they feel when they go to the library and how they're done. So I think of all the, you know, for master plan things, we deal with bricks and mortar and, and like absolutes and physical things. That genese qua of uh, quality of service is really the origin, I think, for sparking the need to want to gather more, to want to come together for mm -hmm. technology, because you know that you're going to be supported if you have questions, for instance, on how to use this for digital inclusion. Um, uh, just supporting human needs within spaces, just simple, simple respect um, uh, coming through either a physical door or a virtual door. I think those are the, the, the origins. Finally, the current document is only a framework. Though the more than 7,000 survey responses were so overwhelming that a new method had to be created for collating the data, there is still a need for public input and support. This journey is only beginning. First of all, would love it. Um, everyone who has the time and the willingness to read the draft plan and make sure it, it speaks truth. 
about San Diego and about the library and about the vision for the future. Uh, we, we really want to hear all of that. Uh, we're going to read all of that feedback and, um, you know, there will be a final document that will incorporate uh, your good input. Um, I wanted to echo what Misty said about advocacy too, and uh, just the importance of, um, you know, letting letting your city leadership know that libraries are important. I think, you know, her, she said if she had a nickel for every time people said, I didn't know the library does that, um, city leadership is often that way too. They don't know. And so, um, you know, why does the library need more money? They're just gonna buy more books with it when it's really about all of these wonderful things that the library does for the community, uh, building equity, building access to new opportunities. It's about quality of life. And so um, keeping, keeping that communication and advocacy going. You can read all 92 pages of the library master plan framework and make your public comment the same place you can place a hold on a copy of Gilgamesh, the library's website. It'll be under the About the Library tab, and we'll have the full link in the show notes. That's going to do it for this season finale of Listener's Advisory. I'd like to thank our guests, Joanne Oppenheim, Susan Hasegawa, and Misty Jones. As always, thanks to Pete Niesner and Luke Henshaw for contributing original music, and a roaring thank you to everyone who's helped make this first season a reality. Not only has this been a huge learning experience for us, we've gotten to see many of you at your absolute best. We'd also like to send a very special thank you to our listeners. We greatly appreciate you rocking with us this past eight months. For more information on the programs, events, and resources mentioned in this episode, please see our show notes or visit us at www.sandiego.gov forward slash SDPL podcast. If you like what we're doing here at Listener's Advisory, please consider sharing our podcast on your social media, leave us a rating or review via your favorite podcast directory, or tell someone you know about us. Thank you, and we'll see you all next season.